We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Walls. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Don't Answer the Phone! Exclamation mark. On February 29th, Leap Day, 1980. It was written by Robert Hammer and Michael D. Castle, adapted from the novel Nightline by Michael Curtis, directed by Robert Hammer, and released by Crown International Pictures. Hey. <laughs> you know the story about Crown International Pictures? I, I do. Very they, entertaining story. Uh, I probably shouldn't say too much because <laughs> only because, I don't know, but uh, they are in the same building as me and I know some of the people who work there. Well, there you go. And it's for sure the same one? Oh, yeah. It is definitely the same one. That's interesting. They've been you, running for so long. Did you ask them about this terrible uh, movie? I, I did not. Uh, the Most of the people there are much younger and I don't think that they would have any kind of knowledge or connection to this movie except mm. maybe a renewal of the distribution deal if sure. any exists <laughs> yeah um, and i'm not sure anybody's really working on that one right now um, one of the imdb <laughs> uh actors profiles like all the pictures of him were from this movie i think it was uh the main the, the killer character but um all the pictures were really nice clean high def like i think there must be a, a relatively recent remaster like, like a shout factory or something that's not what we watched we watched a, a dvd but so uh, this movie was shot over the course of 18 days with no permits for any of the exteriors. So everything in Hollywood was just people running around with cameras. Uh, Flo Lawrence, who played the Dr. Uh, Gale, and uh, James Westmoreland, who played the, the lead uh, investigator, detective character, hated each other. They hated each other so much that... Uh, <laughs> I hated them too. <laughs> <laughs> feeling, feeling is mutual. <laughs> On the day of their love scene, she ate a bunch of onions and he didn't shave to make it as uncomfortable as possible for the other person. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Nicholas Wirth, our killer, improvised most of his dialogue. Mm. Really? Um, so but, he was, in fact, just a psycho. No, he was great. I loved him. When he was doing his whole, like, Stuart thing, I'm good enough, I'm <laughs> smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. I think it was interesting that they like uh, he had like a special credit like and intro was it introducing or featuring oh maybe featuring what's his name patrick worth nicholas worth Nic- Nic- nicholas worth are you just conflating me in this killer yes in my brain i just like patrick killer yeah that yeah that sounds right you're not supposed to be telling people about my hobbies except this podcast tell as many people as you can <laughs> the car that the killer drove the camo jacket he wore and the home that he lived in all actually belonged to director Robert Hammer. <laughs> so they just filmed in the director's house and uh, used his car for the production. The original title was The Hollywood Strangler, which I think is better. More apt. Which is, that's, yeah. a, that's so much better. Yeah. That's, it's actually what the movie's about because at no point in this movie, except maybe the first scene, would there be a reason not to answer the phone? Right. Because. 
Like it's not like it's not like Scream or anything like that where like the killer's calling you mm-hmm. yeah. and and he's luring you out so that he knows your home and he can come get you or anything like that. But no other point in the film does is there a phone call that you're like, "Oh, now you're in trouble. You answered the phone." I did read a review that said that that might have been trying to play off the popularity of when a stranger calls from 1979, but um but you're right. There's no phone call situation that happens. This movie also has the rare distinction of being one of 154 films declared a video nasty in the UK. Are you familiar with the phrase video nasty? I am not. Uh-uh. Okay, I'm glad that you are because I'm excited to share this information with you. Um, with the advent of home video, a number of films famously bypassed the NVALA, which is the UK version of the MPAA, uh, on home video market. They became known colloquially as video nasties. Following a moral campaign led by famous social conservative Mary Whitehouse and the NVALA, local jurisdictions began to prosecute video releases for obscenity. Uh, They were sorted into three sections. So section one contained 39 films that were actually prosecuted, like successfully prosecuted as violations of the Obscene Publications Act of 1959. I've only seen two of the movies on this list. Um, Is one of them Caligula? (laughs) No. Uh, Faces of Death and Last House on the Left were two movies from the top. Really? Last House on the Left? Yeah. I mean, it has some pretty brutal rape scenes. Yeah, but... All right. By the way, uh, this this might not be the most kid-friendly podcast. Again, we're sticking to our rule of not saying anything you can't say on television, but uh, this is a dark uh, film, so there's going to be some disgusting things discussed. A few other movies from Section 1 that I haven't seen but I'm familiar with are Cannibal Holocaust and I Spit on Your Grave. And uh, Section 2 had 33 films that they attempted to prosecute but that avoided prosecution. Those included The Beyond, The Evil Dead, and The Fun House. The first Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. Don't Answer the Phone actually landed in Section 3, which includes films that could not be prosecuted for obscenity but were liable to seizure and confiscation under a less obscene charge, which meant that tapes seized under section three could be destroyed after distributors or merchants forfeited them they could just walk into a store and be like you can't sell these movies destroy them all or give them to us as the least extreme category it features the most recognizable titles so you have dawn of the dead friday the 13th one and two hills have (laughs) eyes night of the living dead phantasm prom night scanners suspiria texas chainsaw massacre and the thing we're all in section three with what? this movie. Yeah, like, really? They're not. Some of them like Phantasm doesn't have much at all in it. I, I don't know the reasoning uh, behind why these movies were included, but this, this was a lot like uh, Pirate Radio to me. Sure, yeah, like the the British government just going ape over yeah, and this, everything. Uh, this woman, Mary Whitehouse, is kind of like. Do you know who Jack Thompson is? I do not. He's he's a guy who who has led every major American protest against violent video games. Or he did for a long time. I think he's kind of faded into obscurity now. But this woman is like that for movies in the UK. Where she was like, you know, family first. Like, very important. Like, mm-hmm. we have to save the children from this nonsense. Well, so. somebody please think of the children. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, weirdly, five of the video nasty titles start with the word don't. <laughs> uh, section one had don't go in the woods. Section two had don't go in the house. Don't go near the park. And don't look in the basement. And then this one was. Was, was that three. one movie? None of them are connected to each other. None no, of them no, no, are sequels. Was that last one just one movie? No, that would be funny. <laughs> but my favorite, my favorite of those is "Don't go near the park." It's like not "Don't go to the park." Don't even go near it. Don't even look at it. 
Uh, don't even think about that park. <laughs> I don't want to. We do not talk about the park. I wouldn't be surprised if all the don'ts were at least part of the inspiration for Edgar Wright's don't trailer in the Rodriguez Tarantino double feature Grindhouse. Oh, where where yeah. does don't stop believing fall? <laughs> Although in interviews, Edgar Wright specifically credits a movie called Don't Open the Window, a.k.a. Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, a.k.a. The Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue, a.k.a. Do Not Profane the Sleep of the Dead. <laughs> I like that one. Apparently, Edgar Wright thought it was funny that, not unlike this movie, the title refers to nothing in particular. There is no big window scene in Don't Open the Window. <laughs> um, it, that movie, though, did not make the video nasty list. And I thought it was weird that Caligula didn't make the list, but when I searched for it, I came across a movie in section one called Caligula Reincarnated as Hitler. <laughs> Literally, that's the name of a movie. Oh, um, but yeah, so that's Video Nasties. So, I'm sure we'll cover more of them over the say, course of this are podcast. We, are, yeah, like what years are They're, these from? Are they, we... It seems like the earliest ones are like, obviously Night of the Living Dead was in 68, but most of them are like late 70s to, and early to mid 80s. Um, I, I feel like this was part of this list is just ask, you know, it's like they put this list together as a list of what movies we should watch because they're yeah. amusingly in, in a not too distant universe there. I'm hosting a podcast called Video Nasties and we just cover <laughs> this entire list of movies. Um, although the, the only one I've seen from section one or one of the two that I've seen from section one faces of death features like not fake deaths of humans. What? It, like uh there's accident footage and stuff like that that they used oh, in the God. movie so it's pretty traumatizing like i'm not suggesting people go out and look up all of section one and go try and watch them it's it's pretty depressing footage i will not be participating in this podcast yes yeah, no i think richard barely got through this movie <laughs> well you've you, did you've seen cannibal holocaust or no no okay. i will not watch that okay i know there's some pretty disturbing stuff in there to the point that they literally like dragged the director into court to say prove that you didn't murder these people Mm -hmm. and he had to like fly the actress into the country to be like look i'm alive they didn't kill me on set because it was like that convincing of a murder scene yikes but yeah so this movie uh we start in uh, kirk smith's apartment where he is posing uh in front of a weird like religious set that he built in his home and then we cut immediately to him following a nurse into her home uh, at, presumably at the end of a shift at a hospital she <laughs> speaks briefly on the phone with her air quotes mother, mother. yeah <laughs> I, I was like is she talking about her mother or I, talking i was like hold on she, she didn't say mom what is she what is the word i'm missing here because that's not a woman on the phone No, and, she said it repeatedly yeah. that she was talking to her mother. But it was clearly like the director or the producer or some man, you know, putting on like a Monty Python female voice. But yeah, by the end of the phone call, she she's saying like mom two or three times in a sentence. And I'm like, no, she's clearly supposed to be talking to her mother. But yeah, I think it was probably the director. Mm. And then they just never bothered to yeah, record the like, ADR. Oh, yeah, we're going to replace that. Oh, shoot. Oh, well, I it's feel like fine. That had to be at the premiere. They were like, oh, whoops. <laughs> forgot but yeah so he strangles this woman to death with a stocking that has a coin in it on like her kitchen table basically yeah uh and then we cut to him driving a car which is weird to get the killer's perspective immediately after the murder right because usually you're going into like oh meet the innocent people but mm-hmm. here we're just like following the killer around 
and he's listening to the radio describe what he did the night before and that the police are officially calling it like a serial killer because this is the fifth woman who's been killed in a similar way so they're starting to tell people oh be be on the lookout for someone trying to murder you don't answer the phones yeah don't answer your phones whatever you do that has nothing to do with this please answer your phones it's important otherwise people can't reach you then the guy reading the news on the microphone hands it over to dr Lindsay gale who is like a she's the fraser crane yes. of, of this radio station she's, she's a licensed psychologist who has a call-in show she also has like she operates her a facility on her own yeah but it's like a free clinic it's a right. weird like definitely catering to low-end clientele where she immediately refers them to somebody else <laughs> yes while we're seeing her sit down and start to introduce her show, we're seeing Kirk, like, randomly trying to pick girls up as models off the street. He's just, like, stopping girls and, like, oh, by the way, I take pictures and here's my card. And, and the girl's boyfriend walks up. And he's like, what is this? Who are you talking? Get away from this guy. What are you mm-hmm. doing? And drags her away. Um, the first caller to this radio show says <laughs> that her son cut up the goldfish with scissors and is threatening to do the same thing to the little sister. And it's like kind of want to hear how the rest of that call went <laughs> yeah but also um like you're calling in to be like what you know like should, what I, do should something? I do should i is this a, is this a bad sign it's like oh good lord you need to immediately separate him from other humans and like, get where him is he? help do you have eyes on him right now yeah yeah this is not good but uh then the second caller is kirk calling in pretending to be someone named ramon and mm. speaking in a very exaggerated ramon. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, they like to roll their R's in this movie when yeah. they say his name. Yeah. Even she does. Yeah. Like, she's being very respectful to the pr- pronunciation of his name. But he's he calls in complaining about headaches, which I'm not even sure that he is experiencing. Because uh, so much of this character is completely made up. I don't know if he's just improvising stuff. I think that he's supposed to. I think it's supposed to be part of the symptoms of his uh That he's a psychosis. Vietnam vet that has some sort of, like literally like brain scarring mm-hmm. and he gets terrible headaches that cause his psychosis or whatever what is brain scarring well it could be literal scarring like he had a brain injury like from an explosion okay the cops are investigating the nurse's home uh and this like csi guy thinks that he's a comedian yeah he's horrible yeah he's making a bunch of jokes about it and he's like did you get a picture of the breast and he's like which one (laughs) and he's like the one that was almost bitten off did you get a picture of that for the file the guy playing this uh this lab tech is the guy who wrote the movie (laughs) (laughs) but he has a lot of off-color jokes he's supposed to be like the hilarious coroner character but he's just obnoxious in he's, every he, scene he's no arthur mallet <laughs> he's no arthur mallet from one episode of macgyver <laughs> he, he's also um he's also not uh what's the character's name from dexter that like oh, constantly yeah. makes jokes about dead bodies but yeah so the cops somehow determine that the stalking that they've seen is like very popular with like the Viet Cong population and so they think that he might be a vietnam vet and that he's he bought like a big pack of these stockings to strangle people with. Oh, stockings! Yes, I heard. I kept hearing you say stocking, and I'm like, there's a particular type of stocking that like Vietnam. Yes, it was, called, it was called the <laughs> Vietnam War. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you're talking about stockings. There's a particular kind of stockings. Silk stockings. I don't understand your weird Wisconsin <laughs> pronunciations. 
But yes, stockings. Okay. Stockings. Not stalking. Like, like... I'm not pronouncing the L. You, I felt like you did, because I was pretty sure you were talking about him stalking people. When you're talking about Stephen Hawking and you want Wait, to talking shorten his name. Wait, talking or talking? <laughs> Pam or Pam? <laughs> <laughs> so they think he's possibly a Vietnam vet. <laughs> we cut to Kirk lifting weights uh, very uh, aggressively, aggressively in, his, in his home. A woman meets with Dr. Gale in her free clinic area uh, to discuss some childhood abuse that she went through. And Dr. Gale is terrible. Oh, yeah. It's not something good akin at her job. to that, that cop in uh, Windows. Yeah. A lot of victim blaming in this conversation. Yeah. She's like, she says that her father abused her and she says, and you let him? It's like, what is your problem? What? Let your father have his way? This is not her agency. (laughs) And then she says, immediately she's like, you're right. (laughs) I don't even deserve you. You're so great. And it's like, you're right. You don't deserve me. Anyway, try not to get raped by people, you jerk. So they're laughing about it now. Kirk follows this woman home where she sits down at a, her desk in her room and undresses herself a little bit and then just starts fondling her breasts Mm -hmm. (laughs) just staring into a mirror fondling her own this is the point at which patrick turns to me and says this is what women do when they're alone right (laughs) this is clearly not a movie written by men no 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 this is a standard (laughs) practice what i loved about this whole build-up was him following her and every time it was on him the music went and then it would cut to just silence when it's on her yeah but then when he peeks up in the window it's like it's like, it's like, like the music is like him. he's literally making that sound. <laughs> um, the we we cut back to this weird scene at the at the police station where uh, the lab tech guy has his legs up on someone else's desk, mm-hmm. and this woman is yelling at him like, uh, "Get your legs off of my desk, or I'm going to break them. Uh, you guys need to solve this murder and get out of my way." And he's like relax he just killed somebody he's not going to kill anybody for like three four five days yeah everybody can rest easy tonight and then we cut to him just murdering this woman well he followed home and and i don't know how he knew or if it was just happenstance that he's using like daddy's got you daddy's gonna keep you safe yeah like how did how did he know it would have been one thing if she had called into the radio program and this the whole session had been public knowledge Mm -hmm. but the fact that he wasn't in the room with them it's like why does he know what happened unless like he's been casing these people for months or maybe he says this to everyone maybe that's true so we have this quick scene with a, a scientist professor type guy uh in a room full of detectives explaining what serial killers are and what different types of them are he basically feels a lot like the guys from mind hunter i'm sure he was based on those guys because he seems like an fbi uh type uh specialist but the the police don't seem to care at all yeah and the same thing happens in mind all the cops are like whatever like get out of here like you're so smart you know everything about serial killers and they're like no 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 we have like profiles that are accurate and they help us track people down but and even the room looks like it's the same room as there's a specific scene in Mindhunter that yeah. just looks so much like what's happening here. And I think, think that was just the mentality at the time, and they're, yeah. they're representing that well. But yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that they that they bothered to even include that angle. But then we get a 
montage of police work. Yeah, just handing papers to each other and music playing. P- pointing to things on maps and drawing arbitrary lines <laughs> on said map. Yeah. And then agreeing with said lines. Mm, that's a good line. I'm proud of that line. <laughs> and then we, the cops are in, uh, in Dr. Gale's office. And without really warning her properly, mm-hmm. he just hands her a picture of the mutilated corpse of the woman who just <laughs> left her free clinic. And she just starts sobbing immediately. He says, so uh, I'm going to need the file for this patient. And she says, not without a court order. And he's like, okay, here's the court order. And she's like, no, I don't want to give it to you. It's like trying to solve a series of heinous murders. Right. Can you maybe hand over that file? What am I going to do to this woman that hasn't already been done? Like, I totally get, like, protecting, you know, patient-client privilege type stuff. But, mm-hmm. like, at the point at which you have a court order, you'd be like, yeah, here you go. Please find this murderer. Yeah. yeah. And it also makes Can sure I help you in any other way? I, I have voiced my concerns yeah. and, and my uh, opposition to this. But you have a court order. I have done my job yeah. as the psychologist. And also, I just gave you that as the one thing you would need to do on the path to getting this file was give me a court order. And it it seems like the conflict between these two characters is that she's mad because he wants to murder the murderer when she wants to cure him. Mm -hmm. She's like, what are you going to do? Put him in front of a firing squad? And he's like, that's not a bad idea. But she's like, well, you know, this is a mental illness. We can, we can fix this man. It's like, he doesn't want to do it. So that's, that's the conflict between these two characters. Uh, We get a couple quick shots of the Cinerama dome. (laughs) <laughs> mixed into our montage of just Hollywood at night. Yeah, I the, the whole everything up until the woman who's about to jump off the building is pretty much a blur. Yeah, for me, uh, except for the the whorehouse massage parlor bus, which I can't remember if it even occurs before or after that. I think it's it's before because um, there's another amazing montage yes. of asking people questions on the street and them just saying no. Yeah, over and over again. <laughs> Kirk is entertaining a model at his home and he starts to do this shoot where she's wearing like a biker jacket um, and he handcuffs her for some pictures of a person handcuffed and then just as soon as she starts questioning it he loses his his patience and kills her Uh, the lab tech finds that woman's body or he doesn't find the body but he's there at the scene Mm. of that body being found at like the reservoir or a river somewhere and they're like, it's like he's not even trying to hide the bodies. It's like he's he's rubbing it in our faces that he's just leaving these people everywhere. But I think we're slowly starting to show, like, he's getting more and more careless. Right. Yeah. Uh, Kirk is crying in shadows at his, at his home. So much of his home is very poorly lit, and so we can just barely make out what's going on half the time. Just, this is just like windows. Yeah. Just like, we're just going to half-light this movie. We're going to yeah. have some, some really dramatic shadows, and you're not going to be able to tell half of what's going on. It seems like... The, the the Kirk character in this movie reminds me of the like the Dark Knight Joker because he seems like he's playing like four different kinds of psychopath like alternating where and where I think Heath Ledger was doing it on purpose I think this yeah, guy's this just guy like just didn't really like doing. nail down what kind of a crazy person he wanted to be so every scene where he's being a crazy person it's a different kind of crazy person they all feel like yeah like monologue auditions for, yeah. for the next movie we have a couple of like travis bickle kind of moments and yeah and then, then there's like a a couple like i'm not good enough for you dad like shouting at his ceilings yeah. and then just like crying or like the or weird just affirmations like the, yeah the writing out kind of just yeah. yeah um so there's a lot of this guy is multi-dimensional 
uh, Gail meets with a woman who has a drug problem and she makes her shout that she has a drug problem over and over again. That's her way of curing yeah, it. Another grand example of how good she is at, you know, treating people. Um, <laughs> uh, the cops end up seeing a psychic. I don't know who recommended a psychic go to the station to talk to the cops, but he seems to really know what he's talking about. Um, which is weird because he doesn't come back for any more of the movie, but they do meet with a psychic who has a lot of information. Well, except for the fact that they, at some point, apparently they blame, like, it's just kind of a throwaway line later where they thought the psychic was the killer. Because, well, because of how much he knew. Because of how much he knew, but, mm-hmm. like, yeah. he he had an alibi or he was with his well, wife or something. Well, he, it turns out that he is the personal psychic of the wife of one of the other people on so the So that's task where force. he got the information? Yeah. Oh, okay. So he, oh, I missed that one. I missed that part of it. Yeah, but so I, I like when he walks in and he's like, I sense you were unhappy with this meeting, that you think nothing will come from it. And he's like, two for two. <laughs> like, he's just like, all right, this guy's a real psychic. But it turns out he was on tour and he was 7,000 miles away when the murders happened, so he couldn't have been involved. Um, Kirk meets with a pornographer um, and says, here's some pictures I took. Do you want them? And he's disgusted by one photo in particular, which it sounds like a woman has a bunch of candles mm-hmm. stuck in her. And uh, the guy thinks that's gross. And but I'll take it anyway. Says, but I'll take, <laughs> I'll take the rest of them. But this one disturbs me. And he's like, well, fine. That one's not for sale. And he's like, well, hold on now. Let's, <laughs> talk, about, let's talk about numbers. <laughs> he's playing hard to get with this last picture. <laughs> he's the J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but, but so then he... Uh, then he picks up this prostitute and he takes her to an apartment across the street because she doesn't talk business on the street. Um, and he tells her to call into the radio program. So now we're at, she's literally on the phone with Dr. Gale and says, oh, I'm here with this guy and he said he gets headaches and he told me to call you and I'm a prostitute, but I don't want to be a prostitute anymore. <laughs> but my mom got me into it, so, you know. Yeah. You know, moms. But then he kills her during the call. And she immediately goes to the cops with the recording. And it's like, here's a recording of what I think is the killer. Uh, A woman described a man and she was killed or hurt during the phone call. And here's another phone call that I got from someone else who also got headaches that I think is the same person. And he called himself Ramon. So there's a lead for you. And then uh, the pimp that was across the street when he first met the prostitute comes into the apartment to check on the girl and then kirk goes crazy and just beats him to the ground doesn't kill him but smashes a bottle over his head i think he does think he kills him but he doesn't well he at least knows that he overpowered him and and thinks he's cool for overpowering him like he's starting to get this like invincibility complex where he's like oh i can't do anything wrong i can beat anybody so the cops figure out that that there was a third person at this murder scene because like, there's additional there was... there's additional blood there and right. and and it's not you know either of the other two right and so they're like oh maybe it was the pimp coming to check on the prostitute so they're like okay who who's in that neighborhood and they narrow it down to this one guy and that's right. the guy who they're showing the picture to everybody like where is he and then the 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 drunk informant tells him he's down at this massage parlor right and they talk him down from like fifty dollars to twenty. To yeah, like the, seven or something. Yeah, but then he gives him five. At the end, he gives him five. But so the, it seems like they they basically are using the massage parlor as a front. Mm-hmm. So it's like even though that part was already illegal, they're like, oh, people are just assuming that that's going on here, so they're not going to look around for people dealing drugs. Right. 
so they go into this place and they're not with vice so they're they really don't care what's happening here they're just here for information on this murder mm-hmm. um but when they talk to the woman downstairs she calls up and says it's a bust um everyone cops clears here. out everyone get out and uh as word gets through the massage parlor that it's a bust all these people in various states of undress are running out of the uh, building as quickly as they can. Including your favorite guy who's wearing yeah. like this There's a like guy, red underwear and, and he's clear like, pants, like totally transparent pants. Yeah, he has plastic pants on outside of... <laughs> and do you know who that, that guy was? No. It's Don Lake. Do you know who Don Lake is? That, that name sounds familiar. He's a, a comic actor. He has a lot of credits. He's in a bunch of Christopher Guest movies. But my favorite scene with this character is when he says, Name! Mario. Last name? Mario. Okay, what's your name? Luigi. Luigi, Luigi? No, Luigi Mario. <laughs> He's the one who goes, It's a bust! And then runs out of the apartment Oh, building. that's amazing. Um, I... I, as soon as he said Don Lake, I knew that name from somewhere. Yeah, he's he's been on a lot of TV stuff, but um, I I mostly recognize him from Christopher Guest movies. But I was like, there's something else. There's something, and I was scrolling through his IMDb, and I was like, oh my god, Super Mario Brothers. This is totally the cop that finds out that Mario's name is Mario Mario. And, but they think it's hilarious after the guy shouts, "It's a bust!" and then yeah. runs out of the building. They're like, he's like, oh, do you have an extra ring? Like, like he was gonna propose to that guy mm-hmm. who just ran out of the building. <laughs> they they walk into the room where they where the pimp was supposed to be at the end of the hall and when they get inside there's just a woman doing like coke off of the desk that which still has like some powder from when they ran out of the room yeah there, there was a there was a struggle to get the drugs because the guy was gonna flush them and then the pimp was like no uh and the bag just kind of exploded in the yeah. air right and you know we wouldn't want anything to go to waste <laughs> but she's just doing it off of the desk and laughing about it and then when the cops step back into the hallway, they see the pimp trying to escape, and he turns around and points a gun at them, and they it's, fire at him like 12 times. I like the pimp in this scene because he's got this big, like, white bandage on the top of his head. Yeah, pe- where back Kirk of his hit head. him with the yeah, lamp like where or he got Yeah, where he got hit, but it just, it, like, it makes him look so funny, this yeah. big white bandage on the top <laughs> of his head. Um, they're also firing directly at like an open window that leads right, out right. onto the street. I was like, that's a super dangerous direction to be firing your weapon. But I love the line that <laughs> yeah. it's like, it like, we got some paperwork to fill out. I was like, what do you mean we? I missed. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> I laughed out loud at that line. I, I think that these two characters are like the inspiration for the law part of Law and Order. Because the, the one guy who said I miss is clearly like the Jerry Orbach character. Sure, yeah. Uh, now that they've killed the only person who had any information... Uh, they have to find a new lead. The This is when the drug addict patient is suddenly on the top of a building and decides she's going to jump. Mm. Um, and the licensed psychologist is trying to talk her down. She just got there like 15 minutes ago. Yeah. She's not making any progress because she's terrible at her job. Clear, but, clear, clearly, but, my my words didn't help you. Not not just terrible at her job, but when the when the cop shows up to like like help out. Like she's just like yeah, fine, you do it. Like and walks away. Yeah, just away. like I don't care just about like, this Just like yeah, whatever. I don't need to be doing this. Like no. Yeah, not like I'm board certified and I have a doctorate. Right. It's like I know the best way to talk to her. Like she's my patient. It's just like yeah, no, good. have at it. She, she was she was bored. All right. Yeah. Certified. Certified bored. Certified bored. And then the cop just negs her off the ledge by being like, "Hey, idiot, come down here, you dumb. What are you dumb?" <laughs> 
And she's like, you're right, I am dumb. And she comes down and hugs him. And then he turns to the psychiatrist and is like, hey, let's go get drunk. And she's like, yeah, we should get drunk. Yeah, you then, clearly know how to treat women. Let's do this. Yeah, she's like, I could use a drink. And then it cuts to her drinking water. <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, I'll get us another round. It's like, you're drinking water. <laughs> so they, they get drunk. And then he goes back to her apartment to sleep with her. Mm-hmm. The next morning... Kirk is just walking through like a residential neighborhood and says, he stops a woman on the street and says, hey, do you know where so-and-so lives? And she's like, oh, it's the house with the green door. So he goes up to this door and he goes and he knocks on it and he pretends to be a photographer sent by this woman's agent so that he can get inside to take pictures of her. But she's not falling for it and she's kind of double booked anyway. Well, she she does fall for it because she says, oh, no, I already had my, my pictures taken. And he says, oh, I can't believe that they messed this up. And she goes, oh, they're always messing that up. Yeah. But where is he getting his inside information? Yeah, on I, don't not clear. I don't know. I don't know. Good question. That's true. They never really cover that for, for the girl with the dad and this character. Mm-hmm. But um, so he goes into the, the home and says, can I use your phone to call your agent to try and straighten this whole thing out? And he calls and pretends that he wasn't around. And then, uh, but he leaves his his book of photos on the coffee table for her to look at in case she changes her mind and wants to get some pictures taken. And as she's going through them, she sees the disturbing one that the pornographer didn't like. And she's like, Oh my God, that's gross. And he's like, that's my best work. And then he freaks out on her and Mm. attacks her against the couch. And he's almost completely choked her, maybe already completely choked her by the time her roommate comes out yeah. like, also she's topless. been screaming for a while. Yeah. I feel like it's, I would have been out sooner. I was yeah. like I was like player 3 has entered the game. Yeah. I was like who who is this person that this, has been waiting all this time? Also naked though. Wait, and but but she did the first one come out like she had just showered? She was in a robe. She was wearing she basically when she hears the knock at the door she's like hold on a second and she she closes her robe and Basically just pulls it shut, but doesn't like yeah. fasten it or anything. It's the opening so, theme of log jamming. Right. <laughs> but when he's standing with her in front of the couch, he just yanks her robe down around her waist. Yeah. But then when the roommate comes in, she's just topless. Yeah. And that, that's how I go to address any issues I hear in my house. Like after I jump out of the shower and, you know, like I hear like somebody at the door, I'm going to run out here naked and find out what's happening. Yeah. This will be a distraction. <laughs> but at first it looks like she's not doing much good because she's just screaming while he's choking her friend to death. But then she takes some initiative and she picks up a lamp and smashes it over his head. But unfortunately, her friend's already dead and it just pisses this guy off enough yeah. to jump over the couch and strangle her against the wall of yeah, the kitchen. with his hands. Yeah. So now they're both dead. Um, but he left his camera at the house mm-hmm. when he left in Right, because a neighbor, a, a neighbor comes over trying to like knock on the door and see what's happening. The he same woman screaming. who pointed out the the home in the first place. Yeah, and so, so it, but he like books it out the back door or right. something like that and leaves all his stuff behind. So the cops find the cameras and they're like, "Oh, this guy takes like pornographic photography. Let's go talk to the local pornographer." Yeah. Well, they had found uh, earlier on. They had found evidence of a part of a film box. Box, yeah. But, but it was like a burnt film box. Like it was like did, in the ashtray at the nurse's do? apartment. Did he burn this thing while he was there? I don't know. That seemed weird that they found a piece of the film box and they thought it was, oh, this is a clue. Yeah. It's just like, if you really need to get rid of the film box, put it in your pocket. Yeah. Because film boxes, especially for 35 millimeter film, aren't big. Yeah. It yeah. can squish down pretty easily. But they're also, it was 1980. Everybody had them in their houses. Mm-hmm. 
But so they go to see this, the pornographer that Kirk sold his pictures to. And he's just this big fat guy sitting in the corner of an office. Mm. And uh, they they show him all the pictures. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I know. I know who takes these pictures. He recognizes the especially disturbing one. And he's like, the guy's name is Kirk Smith. And it's like, he's using his real name for everything. Yeah. He used it with this guy. He used it when he answered the door at the, at the woman's house. It's like, I know, I'm going to take smutty pictures and I'm going to sell them under my real name. <laughs> well, it's not just that. He's also murdering people and leaving a trail of like his own name everywhere yeah. that he goes. I, I like when the Jerry Orbach character picks up the picture, the one picture off the desk goes, oh, that's a good looking horse. Yeah. <laughs> Oh dear! He's like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff. And he like rolls it up and puts it in his shirt pocket, like, like you know, you weren't supposed to see that. That's a controlled picture. Um, but before they leave the the office, the pornographer gives them the name and address, mm. and uh, and then the same cop character he picks up one of the pictures and he's like, I don't care for the lighting. And then he's like, you don't care for the lighting. And he's like, nice hips though, nice hips. Like <laughs> the pornographer is just repeating everything he says, like. Why are you even talking to me about this? Just get the hell out of here. Go do what you're doing. Leave me alone. But for some reason, they go to the wrong house with this yeah, information. This seems yeah. like a weird thing to have in the movie at all. Like, why even have them go to well, the wrong house? Well, you need house? another turn. But also, I think the implication might be that even if he... not long enough. <laughs> even though he is using his real name, maybe he's using his neighbor's address and going through his neighbor's mailbox. That'll so throw that, him off. So They'll the never trip. find me But it's me like here. literally like 10 feet away from his door. Yeah, and the neighbor knows everything about that. He's, yeah. like, he's a weirdo oh, He's a creepy photographer. photographer named Kirk Smith. He murders women at night. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't say he that. He didn't say that part. But, uh, but so they go to this wrong house and bust in without a warrant. And when the guy comes in, the, the homeowner comes in, the wrong guy... They surround him with guns, and he freaks out and drops a suitcase, which they open, and it's just full of toys. Because he's a toy maker who literally just fills his briefcase with toys mm-hmm. and goes off to the toy factory to toy all day. What Sandy Claus? Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. He looks young. I haven't seen him this young before, Santa Claus. Um, but he says, oh, you're looking for my, my murderer neighbor. He's crazy, and he murders. And they're like, oh, okay. So they go to that place, and they're like, oh, yeah, it says murder on the door, and there's murder yeah. everywhere. Look, look at he's got all the crazy stuff in here and we got all the pictures and yep. there's blood and murder and uh and he's like oh that's interesting look at this he's got a big pile of pictures of you and that psychologist <laughs> that you've been dating for some reason and he's like okay that's a problem uh he's probably at her house so you go to the police and i'm gonna go to her house by myself mm-hmm. good plan um and so he goes to her home he immediately gets in a scuffle with uh, Kirk, who has, in, in the ensuing twenty minutes, like tied the the psychologist yeah, to a chair and gagged, her. and gagged her, and he's like, she's like the main prize of his entire thing because right. he's he's taken out all of her patients, and now he wants to kill her. When the cop shows up, he's able to shoot Kirk once, and while he's lying bleeding on the floor, he handcuffs him behind his back. Yeah, and I was like. Well, that was really anticlimactic. <laughs> and then you just get this really long shot of him lying face down on the ground and just going. Hur! And I was like, he's not going to break these handcuffs, is he? <laughs> and sure enough, he breaks the handcuffs. He gets back into the, the room. And before the cop can get a shot off, they're shoving each other back and forth. But eventually it's kind of pointless. Well, I, I love what the cop does after he gets him handcuffed. He goes in, ungags her and unties her and then just 
puts his head in her lap. Yeah. Like, comfort me. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a hard go. day. You don't know what I've been through today. But they, they shove each other back and forth a bit. Um, and then Kirk tries to run out of the building and McCabe shoots him like 12 times in the back. Yeah. It's, and, and it, then he falls it, into a pool. In super slow motion. Yeah. Like these bullets coming one after the other. And this would fall- be very problematic how many t- how many of these bullet holes had entry wounds in the back though. Yeah. Uh, but then he falls into the pool and he's all idios creep which apparently he improvised that line i totally believe and I, I was so excited with that line one because i was looking at the running time it's like oh god this movie's almost over please let that be the last yeah. line i don't want any like epilogue i just want yeah, this don't to mess be it up just audios creep credits credit. and that's what they did well but they first they hold on a freeze frame of, of the, the splash of the splash in the pool and i thought that the video had ended and it was just stuck on that last frame. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, the movie's over. I guess it's the video player just got hung up on that last frame. But the counter's still ticking. No. So what no. is happening? Oh, oh, there are the credits. That's the yeah. freeze frame. That's it a was terrible a very, freeze frame. very long freeze frame. Yeah. With no audio. All you hear is the audio popping from like whatever film this was transferred from. Right, yeah. And I was like, there's no audio. It's a freeze frame. There's no music. What is happening? And that's the end of the film. Um, and that's the only directing credit for Robert Hammer, which actually uh, Edgar Wright, when he was, he credits the Hammer films stylistically for Don't, but uh, the Hammer films have no relation to Robert Hammer, who right. directed this film. Um, it was written by the director and Michael D. Castle, who as we said, played the CSI character. This was his only script that he ever wrote. Uh, but he will be coming back later this year for Galaxina, oh, which is like the Barbarella exciting. ripoff. Um, uh, the novel was written by Michael Curtis, who has no other credits on IMDb. It doesn't mean he didn't write any more books, but he wrote the book Nightline that this was based on. Nicholas Worth, who plays the killer here, uh, is also the Reaper in The Hills Have Eyes 2. He played Polly in Dark Man. Uh, he does a lot of video game voices, including uh, Premier Romanov in the Command and Conquer series. And uh, he played a henchman on the Pirates episode of MacGyver. Oh. <laughs> do you remember that one? I do remember that one. He was one of the two guys that like took over this military <laughs> installation island. Yeah, 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 with all the landmines. Yeah. Um, Chuck Mitchell, who plays Sam Gluckman, the pornographer, was Porky from Porky's. Yeah. And Porky's too. He's also Rocco in Better Off Dead. <laughs> I thought you were going to go somewhere else with that person. No, not not modern life. Um, and the the woman who says, "Oh, that that house there with the green door." Her name is Eileen Castle, and this is her only movie. I think she's the screenwriter's mom. Yeah, I would. I'm, I would say I'm so. not a thousand percent sure on that, but I, I would I would bet money that that was the case. Um, Jess, what do you think, up or down on this one? Oh, it's a big down. Big down. Yeah, that's a that's a no. This is a me. thumb way up for me. I actually really enjoyed the film, and uh, I know that the the murder rape scenes are very brutal. Yeah, but they I are. actually don't think they're poorly done from a filmmaking perspective. I think they're actually really well done in that they're terrifying, and uh, honestly, all of the I like all of the dialogue with the cops. I think the cops are funny and believable the whole time, um, but I I really enjoyed this film. Um, letterboxd rank so so i put it just above 
to all a good night, which I then puts it below windows for me. Okay. Uh, this is actually going to go into my number two spot from the bottom. Above Whoa, Caligula? Just above Caligula? Above Caligula, but below, just tell me what you want. Interesting. Wow. Just tell me what you want is, is moving up. Moving up in the world. I'm putting this movie smack dab between our our uh, male prostitutes. This is going just below American Gigolo, but above Cruising. Oh, interesting. So right right in the middle there. Um, Always good to put some brutal rape in between your male gigolos. That's true. That's an important thing to do. Um, I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Speaking of which, we have our first $5 Patreon subscriber, Costa Dinos. Thank you so much for your contribution. Yeah, we're surprising Richard with this live on the show. (laughs) What? Costa Dinos? Not is only that, that. Am I saying that right? I, I believe so. All right. Costa it's either Costa or Costa. Tell us if we're messing it up, but I think it's Costa. Um, Costa's great. He's been a listener for a long time from back when we were doing the MacGyver show. And uh, he's already placed his vote for our movie for the next month. Okay. So there there are three options for the next uh, the next month's review. It was Airport, Gamera versus Jiger, and The Ballad of Cable Hogue. And he selected the Ballad of Cable Hogue. All right, so, uh, that's what we which wanted. is kind of the one we were pulling for. We <laughs> we shouldn't be choosing favorites, but if anybody wants to change the results, you're going to need to sign up twice <laughs> because uh, <laughs> that's the one we wanted to do anyway. So thank you very much, Costa, for your contribution. We appreciate it, and uh, thank you for being a a returning listener to the show. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you will join us next time when we will be discussing foxes which Wikipedia calls a 1980 American coming-of-age drama. Uh, It revolves around a group of teenage girls coming of age in suburban Los Angeles towards the end of the disco era. (laughs) We leave you now with the trailer for Foxes. Meet Jeannie, Annie, Madge, and Deirdre. Not exactly the girls next door. Hey, anything you want, baby? Not from you, slime. (laughs) They move to a beat all their own. They're foxes. They dare to do what others dream of. Moving out, buying a place of our own. Oh, you know, it's not just for you. My mother would love it. You look like kids, but you don't act like them. You're short 40-year-olds and you're tough ones. Forget your mom. You know, when you go out in the world, it gets scary sometimes. Learn to laugh a little. I mean, you slept with guys. Gonna stay with you tonight, Annie? Better stick to the pill. Because you never know what you don't know, you know? Teenage dopers. What a waste. Drunkenness, narcotics. I don't like your friends, Jeannie. I never like my friend. I'm in love with you. Do you really love me?
How is she? She's loaded. If you're gonna stay with me, you gotta go by the rules. And the rules are, we're gonna get through the high school. We're gonna pay back, Jake. And I'm not coming back for you every time you blow it. Jodie Foster, Scott Bale, Sally Kellerman, Randy Quaid. They dare to do what others dream of. They're foxes. foxes.